Hey, everybody. Communications Director Jay Sokol here. Guest today on the podcast is Dr. Tim Lomax. He's a research fellow, a Regents fellow, and an all-around nice fellow with the Texas A&M Transportation Institute. Tim was nice enough to talk me through what will be one of the most impactful transportation projects ever planned for College Station. It's a proposed three-tier, you have got to be kidding me, underpass at the intersection of George Bush Drive and Welburn Road. And yes, that would include the railroad tracks, and it would impact practically everything in sight. So this project's probably a few years away, but Tim's already part of a team that's genuinely seeking citizen feedback about things like uh, construction schedules and duration of closures and any other concerns they may not have considered, things like that. You'll hear us mention it more than once during this talk, but take the survey they have out there and check out the rendering concepts. All that is at bwx-bcs.org. Again, we'll repeat that throughout the interview. Here is my conversation with Dr. Tim Lomax. So the intersection of George Bush Drive and Welburn Road, a little problematic right now. What's going to happen? Being with TTI, working closely with Texas Department of Transportation, what's in the future? TxDOT and TTI are partners in essentially re-engaging the public on the design and the construction scheme. Project probably isn't going to go under construction until around 2022. First thing we're going to do is widen the 2818 Harvey Mitchell Parkway from to six lanes from Welburn Road around to Stotcher Parkway University Drive. That'll not only relieve some congestion, uh, reduce reduce some safety issues we have on that road, but also give us a place to have traffic go if Bush Welburn actually closes. Well, let's stop right there, because right now we've got the diverging diamond uh, work going on at Stotzer and Harvey Mitchell, 2818. And that's close to two years, right? It's a couple-year project. project, Okay, so when would the widening project likely begin on 2818 that you Somewhere during that construction. So year, 18 months from now, probably, would be the beginning of the six-lane project, and then that's another couple-a-year, probably, project. So that's why you say it's possible that the Bush-Welburn intersection work would get started around 2022-ish. Right. We're not going to have both 2018 Harvey Mitchell Parkway and uh, Welburn Road-Bush intersection under construction at the same time. We don't have enough capacity to handle the cars in in that part of town. So what needs to be done, what can be done at this intersection of Bush and Welburn? There are a number of elements to the project. Uh, Obviously, we want to improve safety, and we'd like to reduce congestion as well. We need to make sure that all of this happens with a minimum amount of construction disruption. So what can be done? There's a lot of different things. The first one is probably let's look at separating all this traffic from the trains. So you put the cars and the pedestrians and the bicycles at some level other than the trains. Uh, And then the design that's out right now that you can see on on a website is there's a bicycle pedestrian layer underneath the railroad, and then down below that is a vehicle layer. So you'd have essentially a three-level kind of intersection with pedestrians and bicyclists getting their own layer through the intersection and uh, vehicles getting their own uh, piece of road. So the idea is to separate everything from everything else. 
right? Uh, you don't you at, don't want the, yeah. you don't want the commingling uh, of pedestrians and bicycles with cars and trucks and trains and all that, right? Yeah, if you think about the problem right now, there's there's a lot of congestion and there's obviously some safety issues. If you if the railroad wasn't there, it's just a really busy intersection. Yes, you put the railroad in the middle and. The 20 plus times a day when a train goes through, it goes through for three or four minutes and that messes up traffic, causes everybody to have to essentially stop if you're trying to go across the tracks, disrupts the economy, hinders the quality of life, all the things that we're trying to do. So separating out, separating away from the train is probably, I think of that as job one. And then job two is, well, we've got all these bicycles and pedestrians coming from the student apartments and there's going to be another 3,500 beds coming online in the fall with the Park West development. Yes. So, uh, and a lot of those want to go diagonally across the intersection. That's not an easy move to make either. So the renderings that I have seen, obviously those may change. It's just a pretty good idea of what could happen. Correct. Describe that for people who can't see anything that, that you're talking about, but but they can. They can go on online, bwx-bcs.org. Yes. So we'll give that a few a few more times before we're done. But describe the kind of uh, configuration that may be there. All right. First note, I talk with my hands, so okay. this is going to be a challenge. Okay. But if you think about the railroad, where it is right now, the railroad's basically going to stay there. So that's the top of the intersection that you can see right now. Just to the east of that is going to be two through roads for Welburn Road, uh, one going northbound, one going southbound. If you don't want to get off or get on from, if you don't want to get off at George Bush, then you'll uh, take these through roads that'll lead you essentially from Holloman to Joe Route, uh, north of Kyle Field. That, no that no signal light stopping. No stopping there. Those will be at the same level as the railroad, so existing ground level, uh, those will be split by the road that goes down to meet George Bush. So if you're on Welburn and you want to turn onto George Bush, you'll go down between the two through roads into a uh, below ground section, and you'll intersect all of George Bush Drive, which will go underneath the railroad tracks. So you've got two through lanes next to the railroad track, and then in the middle of that, you have these turning lanes, lanes that allow you to turn onto and off of George Bush that go down to the bottom. The bottom is going to be approximately three and a half stories down below ground level. Wow. Because in the middle of all that is a bicycle pedestrian layer. Uh, if you're coming from any of the directions uh, in the in, into the intersection, There'll be a separate path for you. The, the widths vary from, I think the narrowest one in that area might be 12 feet. The widest one is 20 feet. Again, we're back looking at, at, at all this design. But the, the one that's out on the web shows that you can make essentially all the maneuvers through the intersection without having to worry about the car traffic or the train traffic. You're essentially in the middle of those two layers. So the bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure would be elevated? Elevated above the depressed roadway. Right. But about 15 to 20 feet below ground level. Okay. So these these paths will slope down in accordance with the sort of typical wheelchair sloping uh, dimensions 
technically it's a 5% grade, one foot of drop for every 100 feet of, uh, of uh, path. So fairly shallow uh, path designed around safety, uh, ease of use, and again, not you don't have to worry about cars. More great discussion with Dr. Tim Lomax in just a minute. This is Barbara Moore, Neighborhood Services Coordinator for the City of College Station. Are mosquitoes swarming your yard? Are they bugging you? If so, and your College Station neighborhood isn't a part of our mosquito abatement program, then we need to talk. Our program entitles you to a supply of larvicide or mosquito dunks that are super easy to use and last up to four weeks. This means you and your family will be better protected from mosquito-borne illnesses such as West Nile, Zika, and St. Louis encephalitis. Want to know more? Visit cstx.gov neighbor or just give me a call at 764-6262. What is the nickname you have for the mosquito abatement program? The Mosquito Mama. That's who I am. You sounded pretty fired up about that. I I really am. Thank you, Barbara. You're welcome. So digging a hole basically three stories down, that sounds complicated. That sounds a little difficult. Uh, Talk about the the approaches to that three-story depression uh, and how that will be graded and excavated and, and, and all the things around it. Sure. You'll start down, uh, coming from the east, you go through the uh, George Bush-Houston Street intersection, the signal. Uh, you'll go through that, go past uh, Montclair, and then you'll start down into the, into the bottom of the intersection. Okay. You'll go down to the bottom, you'll come up, you'll go past Marion Pugh, mm-hmm. and you'll reach ground level at Olson, or very near Olson Boulevard. So basically, Olson Boulevard to Montclair is the extent of the of the depression in the George Bush direction. All right. In the Welburn Road direction, you'll start somewhere south of the uh, indoor football practice facility, start going down, and come up uh, a couple blocks south of George Bush. Uh, again, uh, the streets that would normally intersect that, so Highland... Um, Fidelity, uh, Marion, get those get closed. Marion Pugh gets realigned a little bit. It will still run into George Bush, but instead, but you won't be able to turn left into or out of that. It'll be, you can come in and make a right turn. You can go out and make a right turn, but you can't go across the median. Okay. Point. And again, renderings of this can be found at bwx-bcs.org. What are some of the variables uh, that exist from what we see right now as proposed design uh, to what we may end up seeing in real life? So that's really what we're out asking people about right now. We're trying to find out what their issues, concerns are, what their suggestions might be about what gets built, but also how it gets built. How much effort, time, money, resources should we put into crafting a project that has a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week construction schedule versus do we need to, which would uh, possibly have the intersection closed for several months? One of the construction scenarios we have right now is that you'd close the whole intersection for six months, start digging down complicated process start digging down relocating utilities building retaining walls you could probably get done with the welburn through roads 
in six months. So you, if you started right after December graduation and you started working by the time you get close to the summer, you could have the Welburn through roads open. So you'd be able to go up and down Welburn Road. You still couldn't intersect with Bush. It would still be closed. Um, that might take another three months to get Bush finished. And so you would essentially be closed. Part of the intersection would be closed from right after December graduation till right before move-in for the fall semester. That's kind of a, a, a sense of how the calendar might look. And that's 24-7. That, right now we're thinking that we can do that in a 24-7 construction schedule and get done with essentially what's, what's been designed right now and pretty much the way it's done right now. There's some other, that's, a, I think, a fairly traditional uh, project again, with a very accelerated incentivized schedule. If you went with some uh, phasing schemes where we try to do the elements that wouldn't affect traffic outside of the roadway, for example, we could start relocating utilities before the construction project starts. That would save time. It would cost some money because you'd be out there uh, moving water and sewer lines, electrical conduit, all that stuff around before you had actually started digging the hole. So again, that would cost more money, but it could probably save us some closure time. Likewise, you could build retaining walls in a more expensive but potentially less traffic disruptive way by working um, at night on the weekends or even during the day, but do it from outside the roadway area. The, technically, these are all doable. Typically, if you want it done faster, it's going to cost you more money. And, and also, it's going to be potentially more disruptive uh, for folks in the area, more noise, more light, more uh, uh, traffic disruption, potentially. Uh, although, I think one of the things that's becoming clear in our discussions with the public, even just uh, up to now, is that... Uh, folks seem to be very interested in minimizing the amount of construction disruption time. So there seems to be a, uh, early indications. We've got more than 800 responses to surveys. People say, get it done fast. We don't want a project that drags out for years. Right. The neighbors or the neighborhoods that are closest to this intersection obviously have the most at stake. I say that. I, I, the university certainly does. The businesses in proximity, they do as well. So there are, there are lots of folks who are interested in this. But you're really wanting to hear from everybody who who may be affected one way or another by, by construction and transformation of this intersection, right? Absolutely. Again, TxDOT has given us the mission to go out and talk to folks about what it is they're looking for, what are their concerns, what are their suggestions. And then our, our process is essentially let us hear you and then let us go back and craft some more specific design options, construction scheduling alternatives, and then we'll be back out in the fall with some more specific ideas of uh, concepts, schedules uh, for folks to react to. So we're, this isn't sort of the only phase. This is this is the first phase. Tell us what you're thinking. Right. We'll go away, try to craft some uh, concepts that will meet those needs, and then come back out and ask people, what do you think? If you recall, the schedule is construction starts around 2022. That really gives us some time to step back and think about it, to 
figure out a way that we can satisfy as many needs, wants, desires as uh, we can afford and come up with a way to do all this in, in a consensus, uh, with a consensus goal uh, in mind. Don't go anywhere. More great talk with Dr. Tim Lomax right after this. Hey, Lacey, what you got there? I have the new Parks and Recreation Summer Guide. What's that all about? What is that all about? You don't know by now? Tell me. Well, our Parks and Recreation Summer Guide, we do them, our guides, we do them three times a year. So this one's our summer one, and it covers everything from May to August going on. So that is, we have mini camps, swim programs, our pools are open, you can run a pool party, rental facilities, events, anything you can think of, as well as just random, we have random articles about what's going on in the Parks Department. So if you have nothing to do this summer, you're trying to figure out what you and your spouse or you just how can I go hang out or what to put do with the kids pick up parks guide all that's in this thing yes all of it's in the it's let's see how many pages 64 pages that seems excessive Lacey well it's everything parks finder you don't know where parks is you don't know our parks rules in here cemeteries in here all of our rental facilities if you're curious if you want to have any kind of party reunion just a family gathering we have that in here dog parks did you know about our dog i was about to ask about dog parks (laughs) we have dog parks as well as this is literally something for all ages so we have um senior citizen programs so ages 55 plus ages 65 plus these are classes just for you as well as programs weekly monthly programs special events and then we have i mean literally all ages where do i get a summer guide any city facility so that would be call station city hall southwood community center lincoln recreation center the library larry ringer library as well as central park which is park's main office you know what would be convenient is if this guide was also online it is online you can go to cstx.gov backslash parks and you can download a pdf copy we also have it on our facebook page so if you're a facebook fan that's going around on our facebook page terrific thank you Lacey. thanks Talk to me about the the areas of responsibility. We're going to ask citizens and, and business owners and so forth what they think, what they prefer in terms of um, schedule of construction and disruption and so forth. But in terms of the logistics of coordinating traffic around the area, trying to minimize the amount of cut through traffic to the neighborhoods nearby and so forth, where do those responsibilities sort of start and stop? The way we're looking at this, it, it really is a team effort. TTI and TxDOT are leading this, but clearly we're going to need the City of College Station to work with us on signalization. So as we get into the efforts of identifying the, you mentioned the cut-through traffic issue, uh, certainly there'll be a possibility of um, having that not happen. Maybe we do that with some signals. Maybe we do that with some temporary features that will uh, help uh, other folks find better ways to get to where they're going. Uh, certainly, if 2018 is six lanes, that will encourage people to go around rather than through. Right. It'll be a I could I anticipate a massive public engagement effort, public communication effort. This intersection is closed. You cannot go here. Don't just go up to the uh, barrier gates and say, "Oh my gosh, what do I do?" It's plan ahead time. It's hey, there's going to be some work going on here. Uh, but you also mentioned the number of stakeholders, the number of publics that we're talking to. We're talking to A&M about possibly changing some 
worker hours. We're thinking about can we change classroom hours? Uh, can we move those around? Can we change classroom locations around? Can we change parking locations around? All of these are pretty typical, traditional elements for a if a road near a downtown in Houston or Dallas was going to undergo construction. Obviously, with uh, class schedules and class needs, that's not as easy as just, oh, go work in this office over here. We have a limited number of 200-seat classroom uh, lecture sessions. Uh, So all of this, again, speaks to the fact that we're we're out here four or five years away from when construction will start. So let's start thinking about some of these issues now, trying to figure out which ones work and which ones don't work. This isn't a typical one-size-fits-all, here's the toolbox, we, get, we need a screwdriver and a hammer and a, and a crescent wrench. This is, we're dragging the whole toolbox out and we're starting to figure out which ones can we use a 7 16th socket wrench on and which ones are going to need a half-inch socket. Is there any desire to do something special with this intersection because there's an opportunity to do so? Or is this going to be pretty utilitarian and you just want it to move people and vehicles and, and do everything safely? So probably both of those. I, I think the, the first one, the, the fancy, different, not traditional, I think there are some elements of those that fit into your utilitarian notion. There are some non-traditional approaches that are non-traditional for our area because we're, we're not a giant metropolitan area that has uh, hundreds of thousands of cars going through anywhere. And yet, for this intersection, it's right next to the largest university in the state. A&M, if you think about it, is the fourth largest downtown in the state. We have 62,000 students and 13 or 14,000 faculty and staff. Uh, that's larger than San Antonio or Fort Worth downtowns. So both of those are 50,000. Right. So we've got these giant needs that are also essentially more chaotic than your normal downtown. We have 10 or 12 class changes a day that push traffic through uh, in relatively short periods of time. Uh, there's a big bus system. A&M runs the seventh largest transit system in the state. So we've already got a number of our user group that are in some alternate mode, and we still have the problems that we have now. The approach might be, well, maybe we ramp up the transit system. Maybe we identify some different park and ride uh, parking lot opportunities that we might be able to take advantage of. Or maybe we shift some of the parking that we have on the A&M campus around, create some commuter spaces that are that are right now uh, typically uh, dedicated to dorm parking uh, spaces. How unique is this particular situation? Or is, is there sort of a, a template on the shelf that uh, you can drop in and sort of customize a little bit? Um, or is this truly unique? I'm just wondering, is, is there something that uh, we could go to a particular city and see, oh, well, that's, that's what this thing is going to look like? In, in terms of the number of strategies and the kinds of techniques that we might use, you could probably go to any multi-billion dollar project, and our Bush-Welburn project would have those things in it. I don't know of any project in a town of a couple of hundred thousand people that has the level of uh, demand and the call for creativity that this intersection does. 
a, a town of a couple of hundred thousand people doesn't typically have an intersection like Bush Welburn that has not only high volumes of cars and trains and pedestrians, but also the relatively narrow right away that, that you're constrained into next to the 60 plus thousand student university. Um, all of that speaks to the need to think about this creatively. On, on the other hand, we've also gotten very good feedback from all of the stakeholders that they're willing to think creatively. They're willing to uh, pursue solutions that maybe are typical for Houston or Dallas, but uh, seem to work, seem to have a role here. Talk to me about funding. What is this project estimated to cost, and is that money, has it been identified yet? Funding has not been identified. The, the original concept of the project was we here in the 15th largest metropolitan area in the state have to come up with the money to fund this project all on our own. Uh, TxDOT feels like if we can get a project that's publicly supported, that has a good design, that has a good chance of success, that we can go get some more state money that would address this largest university in the state, fourth largest downtown in the state uh, issue that it really says this is a bigger problem than just Bryan College Station. Uh, the budget has been uh, discussed in the range of 40 to $50 million. Uh, again, depending on how many of these innovative strategies and aggressive incentivized construction techniques uh, the, the project could cost more than that. I, I, we, at this point, don't know, haven't really looked at the cost because we're, we're still on the concept stage. By comparison, do you happen to know what the Diverging Diamond project is costing up at 60 in 2018? I think that project is in the $14 million range. Okay. All right. So this is substantially larger. Yeah. That intersection, I don't know how old that particular intersection is, I guess. Uh, it hasn't been touched since the 90s. Okay. I just wondered what surprises are lurking three stories below. I, you know, you don't necessarily know everything that's under the ground. You would like to think you do. You know what infrastructure is there, but I don't know. Do you? That's why they call them surprises. <laughs> I, I think that's one of the elements of uh, crafting a construction scheme that identifies those risks and tries to deal with them up front. So if we go out and move Bush and Welburn around a little bit to get them into a temporary spot and then begin to relocate the utilities out there, that's probably a good chance for us to not worry about the schedule so much. Let's get the utilities moved around in a way that allows us to handle the traffic before we've really started the, the big construction traffic disruption. Yeah. So back to the, the phase, the initial phase that you uh, are in right now, where you're trying to get public feedback and get people up to speed on what you think is coming. When and how do people have an opportunity to, to learn and to voice some opinions? On our website, bwx-bcs.org, so that's Bush-Welburn Crossing, bwx-bcs.org. Uh, we have a questionnaire. We also have 
a, the slideshow that I'm out presenting. We have a number of other resources that you can take a look at. The questionnaire walks you through some of our questions about how people would make a trade-off between you could do it 24-hour, seven-day-a-week construction and get it done faster, but that would cause more disruption. Uh, you could you could last you could have the project last longer with less traffic disruption. So some of those trade-offs, uh, we've also got open-ended. Tell us what your concerns are. Tell us what your suggestions are. Uh, tell us if you want us to come out and talk to your group. If there's a, 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 a civic group, a neighborhood group, uh, uh, any service group, uh, any group of people, uh, my goal at the end of this is for people to be sick of hearing me and seeing me because I will have been out and talked to you three or four times. Uh, I, we seriously want people to uh, to have a voice in this. That's really what TxDOT has asked us to do: is make sure everybody uh, gets their their voice heard, and we we address every one of the comments. Uh, the questionnaire is also designed around essentially this is the first phase. We're looking for ideas. We'll be back with another set of concepts and schedules, back out with another set of meetings in the fall, and we'll have another questionnaire that'll be more specific around do you like um, what aspects of project A do you like and which one's a project B. Okay. Have you taken this first survey? Absolutely. Okay. I have too. It, it actually is very easy to do. It took me about 10, 11 minutes. Did you use Depends your, on how many comments you have. Well, that's true. I was going to ask, did you use your, your real name when you filled out the information at the end? I used it in the test phase, so I'm not actually included in the user group. I used the name John Sharp. <laughs> I figured what the heck. Just a random name yeah. that you thought of. Very common. Yes. Very common name. Did I leave anything out that you want to make sure people know about this phase of the project or, or any of the expectations uh, moving forward? I don't think so, Jay. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. I appreciate you walking me through this. And again, the website is bwx-bcs.org. That's a that's a minus sign. bwx-bcs.org for those of you math majors. Thank you, sir. Another great way to track the progress through every stage of this project, I would imagine, is through a Facebook page that's been set up. If you're a Facebook kind of person, just search bwxbcs and you'll find it. And it's the same with Twitter. Their account is at BWXBCS. You see how that works? So thanks to Dr. Tim Lomax for the conversation. Thank you for listening. I'm Jay Sokol. How many red lights did you hit on the way over here? I hit no red lights. I went through several traffic signals, and some of them indicated red, but I hit no red lights. Did you roll a right on red? I did not. Very good. I would never do that. I made all lefts, so I had no opportunity. (laughs) Thank you.